0: I'm excited to have Madison Gibson on the Data Dive podcast. Madison recently graduated with a degree in computer science from Stetson University, and she was a data science intern at NASA prior to coming on full time as a data scientist for NASA's People Analytics team. Welcome onto the Data Dive podcast, Madison. I'm really glad to have you on.
1: Hi there, thanks for having me. It's a great opportunity.
0: Tell me a little bit about your background and what drew you into the data science field.
1: Sure thing. So I'm actually very new to data science, really. I graduated with my Bachelor of Science in Computer Science from Stetson University in December 2020, so less than a year ago at this point, actually. The computer science coursework consisted of your typical programming in Java, C++, you know, had the theoretical foundations, operating systems, algorithm analysis, that kind of thing. And along the way, there were a couple of opportunities to learn data science, but really my exposure to data science started my last semester of college when I got my internship with NASA. Uh, This internship continued a couple additional semesters and it was extended into a job offer. So I came on full-time in August. Uh, just a few months ago. And now I'm a data scientist on the people analytics team at NASA, Uh, really just continuing and advancing the work I started as an intern.
0: What skills did you develop in college that you feel helped prepare you to become a great data scientist?
1: That's a great question. I think when everyone thinks of data scientists, they think of the hard technical skills. So I guess I'll start there. So on a daily basis, I use Python, Neo4j, which is a graph database platform, Cypher, which is the query language for Neo4j. I also use some R tools like AWS, GCP, Snowflake, and various internal and external APIs. That being said, though, I had developed only a little bit of my Python skills in college. My coursework covered Java, C++, Swift, Um, A lot of the algorithms, theoretical concepts, as I said, um, and I occasionally go back to those, but I honestly don't use a lot of the technical skills that I learned during college and my current job. Part of that's probably because of the computer science degree and the data science job difference. But really, most of the technical skills I leverage frequently, I've actually learned during my practical experiences and kind of developed on the job. So technical skills are definitely important because you need them to actually perform your data science job functions. But I do think that some of the most important skills as data scientists we have are not actually technical. And so I'm trying to think back, like when I was in college, what type of skills I developed that I actually use that are non-technical on a daily basis. And I think at the top of that list Critical thinking is a huge one. Just being able to look at maybe like a question, a problem, data from a different perspective and really scrutinize the various aspects. It's important for, you know, ensuring data validity or um, just in general, examining of a problem as a whole and not just a part. Another thing is being open-minded. Um, I went to a liberal arts school, and so, you know, one of the benefits of that is you develop not only critical thinking, those types of things, but being open-minded is just a characteristic that's been developed. And I think this is important because it's really where creativity starts and creativity is really the foundation for um, complex problem solving and the ability to solve problems, Um, having new approaches to things, being able to look at things in a way where others maybe haven't before, Um, being willing to try new things even though they may not be the standard. And that's really valuable in data science, especially as the field just grows so much and there are new challenges every day. So being open-minded, I would say. I also think that the ability to research and solve problems on your own independently. This is an important skill to have, obviously, for any job, not just for data scientists, but it's really something I developed through a couple independent study projects I did during college. Being able to Do your own thing and research on your own, figuring out solutions on your own. It doesn't seem that complicated, but I've actually been surprised about uh, the number of college students that actually miss developing this skill because it, there's not always opportunities to do this in your coursework. A lot of times that type of skill, doing things on your own with that independence is done through research projects or independent studies or internships. And that's definitely something that I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do and the skill that I use every day. I think the last one, and possibly the most important one, which I know is talked a lot about in the data science field is communication. Again, it's important in any role, not just data science roles. But I mentioned that one of the things I love um, about data science um, is like the problem solving aspect. But in addition to that, I would say a cool thing about data science is it doesn't have boundaries. It's found in every field, every company, no matter what. It's able to solve problems in any of those fields, which is an amazing aspect. But data science having no boundaries doesn't only apply to fields, but in an organization, I find myself talking a lot with people in different areas about data science You know, it doesn't have to be about a data science topic, but about the data science work that I'm doing and how we could collaborate to help each other and create synergies. And a lot of times, these people that I end up collaborating with in different areas are not data scientists or even technical at all. And so the communication aspect is incredibly important. Um, Being able to communicate very technical details to non-technical people and, Further communicating these details in a context appropriate to them where they understand how it matters or how it could help them. It can be very challenging, but I would say it's one of the most important skills that I've found um, to have and keep developing as a data scientist.
0: Yeah, so you touched on it a little bit there, but what non technical skills did you develop that has been directly beneficial to your role at NASA?
1: I think one of the main ones that I've developed since I've been in my job, is more of an analytical mindset. In my computer, coursework, computer science coursework, I had a lot of problem-solving, the being open-minded, a little bit of the communication, but that's also one that's been developed on the job. Um, but this analytics mindset is really applying critical thinking to data science problems. And fortunately, I have an amazing team, an amazing supervisor, and they've definitely rubbed off on me in that way. You know, always asking questions that I overlooked and that causes myself to ask further questions, which helps develop that analytics mindset further. And I think that analytics mindset is just so important for, like I said, with the critical thinking part is looking at a problem from so many different ways. Uh, because data just has so many layers that we have to make sure to consider when trying to uh, draw conclusions from it.
0: So can you give us a quick detailed rundown on the work that you're currently doing now?
1: So right now, I am working on a project on the People Analytics team we call KSAT. Uh, KSAT stands for Knowledge, Skills, Abilities, Tasks, and technologies. It's just a handy little acronym, one of the many that we use at NASA. And this KSAT project aims to aggregate data from open source sources and NASA-specific sources to conduct analyses that inform us about the skill composition of our workforce. There are some other things we can conclude from the work I'm doing. I won't get into that because, you know, looking at the skill of our workforce is the main goal of KSAT, so I guess keeping that center focus um, for this conversation is appropriate, but with knowing the skill composition of our workforce, that allows us to do a ton of things ranging from, you know, matching skill demand with availability, so if we have a mission, being able to actually support that mission with the appropriate skills Another application would be in assisting and upskilling our NASA workforce. You know, uh, people might want to shift career paths and being able to help them do so or help them upskill as technology changes so quickly. That's an incredibly important part of just developing your people. And that's one of the things that we hope to do with this project. So, I think a couple things like more detailed, I guess, that uh, the work I do to support this. I do a lot of stuff around uh, constructing data pipelines. So within those, a lot of data automation, scraping, uh, aggregation, use some cloud resources in doing so. Um, A lot of the work I do centers around graph databases, building them. That's what we use for aggregating our data. And then also doing analyses with those graph databases, whether it's using graph algorithms within them, whether it's pulling the data out and using other tools or programs to do that analysis, using the data in there and conducting or using natural language processing to further analyze the data, further draw relationships between the data points. So that's a little bit of the stuff um, that I do for this project.
0: That's wonderful. So how do you complement data that is directly from NASA alongside open source data that is not from NASA? And is there anything in specific that you're cautious of when using open source data to mitigate any potential issues that there may be with the analytics that you derive from it?
1: Right. So... We use a blend of NASA specific data and open source data, but the NASA specific data has to do with um, our employees, maybe trainings that we offer, uh, specific competencies that we have at the agency, things like that. We also use open source data, so whether it's from government sites like OPM or USA Jobs, things like that, that have agency relevant information, or we use open source data just around skills and jobs out there, those types of frameworks. We like to combine all of this information because having information about NASA and our workforce is super helpful, of course. However, it can only be enhanced when you add in that open source information in the correct way, of course. But we use the open source uh, data in complement with it to further inform, enhance, and connect the data together. Um, I think for the second part of your question, um, is there anything in specific I'm cautious with when using open source data? Of course, data validity. Um, One of the major things that I've been finding lately using open source data is being able to construct reliable data pipelines that can be automated so, and sustained. Uh, so, very low maintenance, no manual, you know, grabbing of data off a web page or something like that. Uh, definitely constructing pipelines that are reliable, sustainable, all of that. And the validity behind the open source data. So, making sure that things match up as appropriate, that things are updated, things like that, I think, are things to be cautious with when using open source data but the trade-offs the benefits of having open source data definitely make it worth it
0: how does data analytics tie into your work when deciding who may be best fit into a certain role like being a machine learning engineer for a specific nasa project and how do the graph databases you use like neo4j help you make better decisions there
1: so uh deciding who may be best fit for a certain role is definitely one of the capabilities we are working and developing we'd love to develop fully right now we still have a lot of work to do in that and in making sure suggestions we make like that are well developed and completely reliable and honestly even once we get to that place we'll still have some sort of element human element um, to assist in ultimately making those types of decisions but in general, with this type of work, we have to look at a lot of different aspects, primarily the skill overlapping gap. So for instance, if you're trying to decide who may be best fit for a machine learning engineer uh, for a specific NASA project, you could compare the skills held by an individual with the skills required by a job or, or a project and come up with the overlapping skills between the two. However, this gets pretty complex very quickly you have to think about things like how are you verifying the skills of the individual what proficiency level are these skills at and how are you testing or assessing those Um, are those skills recently developed or do they need some sort of refreshing. If you look at, you know, the job, how are the skills needed for the job being decided, which skills are the most important, what proficiency level do you need for those skills to be at to complete the job successfully? And then you get it, I mean, I can keep going um, on and on. There's so many questions to ask before you even start considering if this is a viable solution. (laughs) Um, And a lot of that takes that analytics mindset I was talking about, really digging into a problem and asking those questions from all of those different perspectives. And in terms of how graph databases help us make better decisions with this, you know, pending that you can answer all of those analytical questions um, that make sure that you're actually doing the right thing in the first place. Graph databases are relationship oriented, so we do have an easier time at looking how the data is linked. So, for instance, we can pretty easily visualize the skills shared between two employees or job roles, or in this case, uh, maybe a pool of candidates and a specific job for a project. And in addition to being able to easily visualize those relationships and overlaps, there are also a lot of powerful graph algorithms, um, like community detection, centrality, similarity, things like that, that are also helpful with the type of work we're doing.
0: How do APIs and data pipelines relate to your work with people analytics?
1: APIs and data pipelines are central (laughs) to the work uh, with people analytics that I'm doing. The work I do with people analytics supports data driven decision making. And in order to do that effectively, we try to, or we do start with data. The data comes from many different sources, the database holding the employee data, training platforms, competency frameworks, internal applications built by other developers or data scientists. And we leverage quite a bit of open source data as well, as I mentioned. So in order to aggregate this data, we come up with a bunch of data pipelines, whether that's a web scraping tool in Python, leveraging an API, connecting a specific database system to another, those types of things. But the magic really starts to happen once the data is actually aggregated. In our case, we aggregate it in a Neo4j graph database. From there, we can use this database to develop applications, conduct analysis, et cetera. So in that way, data pipelines don't only support the aggregation of the data to build the database in the first place, but it also supports the access to the resulting database for further work.
0: What methods do you use to streamline the process of developing these data pipelines?
1: Typically, when I'm trying to develop or streamline uh, a data pipeline, I start with researching what will actually do the job, what will connect the tools I need in order to complete part of the data pipeline. And most of the time, I like to come up with a few possible solutions just for options. Sometimes there's not that luxury, but if I can, then I test those, see what works best, if any of them work at all. Sometimes you run into issues Passion control on those things. But in the end, I think deciding on what data pipelines to use, I always try to make sure that they're sustainable and that they can be as automated as possible because there are so many data pipelines, data streams, and sources to manage, especially in building an application where you have lots of different data feeds. And so those two qualities sustainable and Automated are things I really try to strive for.
0: How do you ensure that the data pipelines that you develop can be accessible by as many people as possible?
1: That's a great question, especially because as data scientists, we're so collaborative. And so, accessibility of what we've built is kind of the name of the game. I think it's helpful before you start developing data pipelines of your own. To see if something is already set up that can accomplish your goal. So you don't have to do the work that's already been done and reinventing the wheel. This can also be, you know, in the situation that maybe you just need a license for a tool. And instead of setting up a whole new thing, you maybe can find someone that has a spare license or a server already set up for a project, that kind of thing. And save a ton of time and headache. So I think starting there. But it's also valuable to assess your user's familiarity with certain tools. So for instance, if you are developing something, whether it be an application or a data pipeline, that a whole bunch of, let's say, R programmers are going to use, then you might want to consider setting up a data pipeline where the ease of the connection with R is prioritized. Maybe, you know, your users are actually people who are not programmers or data scientists at all. So that, you know, considering that is always important for accessibility and how they're actually going to end up using what you're producing. But I think after you've considered those couple things, technically, I think it's important to make sure that your tools or data pipelines, whatnot, are in a place or set up in a way where others can actually get to them. When you develop so much on your own computer which I do a lot of R&D stuff. So I tend to do a lot of stuff on my computer and then I'll share it or put it up on a server or something like that. And when you're doing that, it's very easy to forget about the fact that you actually have to deploy it and make it accessible for other people. So making sure that whatever you're actually doing um, can be transferred to its final destination or set up in the way that it will be. And actually, I have a funny example of this that happened recently. So I was working on a script that should download some data from an API, required quite a bit of authentication and whatnot, but I got it fully functional on my own machine. And then I went to go put it in a Google Cloud function. And I ran into a ton of issues because there were operating system conflicts and uh, with the authentication process. So I definitely should have along the way been putting chunks of it on there at a time to make sure it worked with my final destination of the code. The same thing can be said for your data pipelines, your apps and whatnot, but it's something that I think is very easy to forget um, along the way, but it's super important. I think another thing too is even if you get stuff in a place where others can get to it, making sure that the people themselves can actually get to it. So making sure they have the appropriate permissions or licenses or accounts, whatnot. So that's also another element, but I would say those are a couple of the things um, I've considered in the past and recently and making sure that things are accessible to others.
0: Since there are many different algorithms that are used in a graph database, How do you find the best algorithms that fit a particular task?
1: That's a great question. So, I think this process is a cycle of essentially research and testing. So, learning from mistakes of others and yourself is also an important part of this. And I think, in general, too, the cycle of research, testing, and refining based on your lessons learned. It isn't only applicable to finding the best algorithm, but it can be generalized to finding the best approach to solving a problem in data science. I think I keep going back to that, whether it's figuring out an algorithm, an approach, um, how to set up a data pipeline, those types of things. That's generally generally the process.
0: How is natural language processing utilized with the graph databases that you work with?
1: I have researched and seen a lot of work done where natural language processing is actually used inside of a graph database. So people will take textual data and deconstruct it into different nodes in a graph database and then from there use graph algorithms to process it. And I actually haven't had a real great use case for that application of it. I know that's a thing, but... The stuff that I've done with natural language processing has really been uh, taking the data out of a graph database and then conducting some NLP analysis on it. So most of the stuff that I've done is just for analyzing text. A good example of something I've done is using uh, text similarity analysis to draw relationships between two pieces of text, for instance, how similar two skills might be or jobs might be based on the descriptions of those skills or jobs. And this is really powerful when combined with graph databases because what you end up being able to do is figuring out a similarity score between the two and drawing a relationship between those two pieces of textual data that essentially serve as an inference. However, it helps enrich your database when you're trying to compare two disparate datasets. So that's, uh, that's an application of NLP and graph databases I've used. Um, I've also done some experimenting with entity tagging. Um, so looking at a piece of text and plucking out the different, you know, people use examples like names, places, things like that. In our case, we're looking at specific skills, things like that. But in general, that's been very experimental. <laughs> um Overall, my experience with natural language processing, it's been one of my most unexpected favorites of data science so far. I really hadn't had an opportunity to use this before my internship. So being able to dig into this as part of my internship and now my job has been very cool, just researching and learning on the job. NLP is so powerful because you can deal with unstructured data, textual data, drawing these inferences. There's so many algorithms in NLP to test and leverage, and I've only scratched the surface. So I my experience with NLP has been very limited, but very positive so far.
0: How do you see the data science field evolving in the future, both in the people analytics space and in other areas?
1: So I... And fairly new to data science. So my, you know, predictions about where data science is going feel like maybe somewhat naive almost. So I'll I'll do my best in, you know, saying what I think might might be kind of trending, I guess. But I do think in data science, we'll probably see similar to other areas of computer science and app development, more codeless tools just in general, making data science accessible to people with a less of a programming background. And even for those people with programming backgrounds, having codeless tools is a lot of times just easier. So I think that might be something that comes up. I also think that as data science evolves, there are just going to be blurred lines between data science, ML, AI. I mean, we almost see those terms used interchangeably now. So I think those things are just going to keep blurring lines and keep interacting with each other more, which is I'm very much looking forward to, of course, but definitely already seeing that. And I think that's just going to grow. I think also in data science, just more stuff with the cloud, obviously. Um, With big data and data engineering, lots of tools to get data from here to there, data compression, those types of things are always in the background supporting the work we do as data scientists. So I'm sure there will be more advances in that area too. And then I am a huge graph database fan personally. So I hope and I anticipate that graph databases will boom even more than they already are. I think they'll definitely compete with relational databases and a larger scale than they have in the past. Just having a ton to offer in terms of the data science capabilities they offer, the graph algorithms, that type of thing.
0: Thank you for coming on to the Data Dive podcast, Madison. I loved hearing your unique data science journey, your work as a data scientist at NASA, and much more. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and stay tuned for more day to podcast episodes like this one.